Chapter 1 A Pair of Knights My grandfather was certain they would shoot him. I was thinking about this and him on a freezing rainy night in the desert as I rolled myself into a tight ball under my tattered and soaked sleeping bag. While clutching an old brass compass in front of the canyon soaring over me, I saw how my struggles had been so entwined with his, even if mine weren't nearly as overwhelming. He first told me about his on the night of my bar mitzvah, days after I had turned 13 and after many years of prodding him to tell me about his time during the war and having no expectation he would. When we came home on that day, I had come of age. With one of his gentle smiles, he led me through our home and into the living room, where I sat on the sofa and watched him start a fire. As he finally let me into his world, I loosened my tie and found myself drifting forward, unaware of how this story unfolding before me would upend my life. Vice, a voice called out to the 45-year-old man who would become my grandfather, Herman Weiss. Groggily, Herman awoke, and he squinted into a beam of light as he lifted his head off a straw-filled sheet that was making believe it was a mattress. Through the light, he saw the silhouette of two soldiers in the doorway, one of which was waving his flashlight toward himself. Herman nodded, and he crawled down from the top of a triple-decker bunk bed, where he noticed a man staring at him from the bunk next to his, a man he didn't really know, but was quite familiar. He had cropped and graying brown hair much like his, and the man's dirty and torn jacket and the tattered shirt underneath it mimicked his own. Looking at him was like looking at himself in a dirty mirror, at a scarecrow, who was missing his stuffing. The last Herman saw of him was his smile. It was mild and forced, and this was probably because he thought the soldiers would shoot Herman. Herman realized this too, and he moved faster. Quickly he made it to the tight opening on the floor between the beds, and he hurried toward the light in a closet that was making believe it was a room. He hurried until he reached a pair of towering SS troopers. With far less urgency, the three started forward in the dimness of the building. They moved through the heaps of flesh, sleeping in front of them and behind them, and all around them in what was called the Hanover Barracks. Two centuries earlier, this building had quartered a few hundred Austrian soldiers serving Emperor Joseph II, but now... In a garrison town that had become a concentration camp, it housed thousands of cattle like Herman, who were all waiting their turn to die. Even with their casual pace, it didn't take the three long to leave the building. This left them along the eastern edge of Theresienstadt, about halfway across its length. From there, they began marching both south and west into a dark and wet, an unseasonably cold morning in April of 1943. Passing barracks after barracks, and all the corpses that had been left outside them that night were these two Aryan giants 
and a speck of a man who had lost all will, the same man who always seemed so towering to me in spite of his diminutive size. But the man who was walking through the streets of Theresienstadt was quite different, as he had lost much in the years prior to this. Perhaps the only thing he hadn't was the skill that had served him so well in his past profession, the power of observation. Because of this, he noticed just how similar the night was to the first he'd spent at the camp many months before. That had been a warm and muggy August evening, but it was the same exact night, with the same paucity of aspiration. Herman also noticed something else. As they passed the center of the camp, he heard dogs barking in the distance. This made him wonder if these would be the last sounds of life he would experience, as he thought the troopers at any moment would put him against the wall and release him from the flames to which he'd been consigned. Despite his eagerness for this, Herman was scared. His only comfort was that he wasn't alone. There was a woman walking beside him, his Anna. She had her arm wrapped tightly around his and was smiling at him. She was smiling as if he were the only thing that mattered. This gave him the courage to continue forward the same courage she had given him during all the months he had spent at the camp. She only faded when the men, instead of shooting Herman, marched him to the Czech gendarmerie near the southwestern edge of Theresienstadt, where those responsible for policing the camp worked. This surprised him, and he became more surprised when the men marched him inside the building and up to the commander's door where he heard the voice of Theodor Janicek, along with that of another man. Harmon couldn't place this other voice, despite it being more familiar than Janicek's, which caused his curiosity to rise. It rose so much that he felt himself drifting forward. I don't like this idea, Janicek cried out from behind the door to his office in heavily accented German. You can't. If I want your opinion, growled the second voice, which had now become so familiar to Herman that he wanted to scream, you can be certain I will ask for it. A pause in the conversation ensued, and one of the troopers took this opportunity to knock on the door. Come in, shouted Janicek. With great force, the trooper flung open the door, and he flung Herman by the arm inside the room with just as much force. There the three saw pale Janicek perched behind his desk, as well as a tall blonde SS officer that was sitting across from him. Even with his back partially to him, and in spite of all the time that had passed since he had seen him last, Herman recognized Klaus Stamm. This caused his jaw to unhinge as the two troopers saluted Klaus, with the one who had been doing all the talking calling out, Herr Captain, we... That is all for now, Klaus interrupted, without glancing at either the men or Herman. Hurriedly, the troopers backed out of the room, with the talking one slamming the door as they left. You as well, Klaus told Janicek. It's against all protocols, Janicek insisted. Klaus didn't exactly respond to this, 
He just glared at Janicek with eyes burning with contempt. Fearing this, Janicek jumped to his feet like a dog hopping in front of its enraged master and he saluted Klaus while shouting as loudly as he could, Hal Hitler. Again, Klaus glared, and he kept doing this until Janicek scurried from his desk, which was right before he rushed out of his office and closed the door behind himself. Herman wasn't sure what to do next, so he just stood there and stared at the man who had once been his friend. Sit down, Klaus ordered, as if Herman were a small child he was about to punish. Where, Herman asked. Where do you see a free seat, Klaus asked back. Yana checks, Herman mumbled. Is there something wrong with it, Klaus replied. Herman didn't answer. Instead, he stepped past Klaus in the black attache case lying by his feet. He stepped all the way to the commander's desk, where he sat across from Klaus and got his first good look at a man he hadn't seen in more than 20 years. Slowly, the seconds went by, and with them an anger began to burn inside Herman. It burned until he couldn't keep it there any longer. I'm not surprised you've become a Nazi, he grumbled, while noticing two things. The first was how Klaus had aged even more than him, and the second was how tired he looked. I'm not even surprised that you're an SS man, he added. But both these facts surprised Herman. He was surprised that the man he knew was so different from how he had known him. The two didn't seem as if they could be the same, and this led him to try to find some glimmer of his former friend in what remained. He tried and tried. How are you, Klaus uttered while not looking at Herman, though not even this can prevent his own surprise, which probably came from how terrible Herman must have looked. Herman not only saw the surprise, but he saw Klaus trying to focus on anything but it. The casualness of Klaus's question shook Herman. It shook him so much that he gasped, How am I? As you can imagine, Klaus remarked, this isn't a social call. That I can imagine, Herman remarked back with a nod of his head, but what I can't imagine is its purpose. I'm provisionally the head of the Prague office of the Kripple, Klaus informed him. Though unlike in Germany, our office isn't staffed by career police detectives. We simply don't have the personnel at our disposal. This means that while we are capable of solving simple and ordinary crimes, I still don't understand why you've come here, snapped Herman. My office has spent the past few days sifting through the archives of the Prague police, Klaus continued and it's come to my attention that you were among the best detectives in Yosefov, if not the best. It's also come to my attention that you were someone who always embraced challenges, and unlike many of your colleagues, even sought them out. Again, Herman was surprised. These revelations surprised him almost as much as the man who had made them. I'm not the same person who had been all those things, he asserted. We have a situation there, Klaus asserted back, in Yosefov. In the past few weeks, 
someone has murdered three SS officers in the district. Herman understood the words Klaus was telling him, but not their context, which made them seem nonsensical. Why are you telling me all this, he questioned, with his head shaking in a more or less continuous manner. You can't possibly think I care. We would involve the local police if they weren't so useless, Klaus went on, as if he hadn't heard what Herman had said, though I think he just didn't care what Herman had to say. We can't tell if they're all incompetent or just acting that way. Herman grinned at this. He grinned at the quagmire of feckless acquiescence his former colleagues were creating for people like Klaus. You've read the good soldier Schweik, he noted. Passive resistance is ingrained in the Czech character. But not in the Jewish one, Klaus countered. Herman realized that Klaus was finally coming to the point of the conversation, but he still didn't know what it was, so he asked him. As I've alluded to, Klaus answered, my office doesn't have the capabilities to solve this crime. To be honest, the SS is not adept at tracking down murderers anywhere, even in Germany. Maybe it's because you give them medals, Herman growled. And Yosefov is alien to us, Klaus added. It's alien even to me after all these years. We get lost just driving through it. I still don't understand what you want from me, Herman screeched. I'm authorized to offer you your old job back for this one case, Klaus contended. Herman wasn't sure how to react to this. He didn't know whether to be aghast or humored. Finally, he decided on apathetic. Why would you think I'd take it, he blurted out. I have in my jacket pocket, Klaus declared while touching this, a visa that will provide you with passage to Switzerland. It's yours if you could find those responsible for the murders before my replacement arrives at the end of the month. Herman didn't really believe there was a visa, either in Klaus's pocket or anywhere else, and he certainly didn't believe that they would give it to him if there was. But even if he had believed everything Klaus had said, his answer would have been the same as it was. I won't do it. You, you've misunderstood me, Herman, Klaus mumbled, with his expression for the first time that night shifting from its matter-of-factness to a surprise that was all over his face. I wasn't asking you. Either you come back with me to Prague and help me find the killer, or those men outside the door will shoot you right now. Herman didn't respond to this, at least not in words. He just glared at Klaus. I bet much like how Klaus had glared at Janacek, but with even more contempt. This was because he was angry at him, even more than before, for making him complicit in his death when he had expected and needed the opposite. He wanted to scream at him, to demand that he'd be shot without conditions. But this in itself would be complicity, which was the one thing he couldn't have. Did you not understand what I just said, asked Klaus, while again expressing surprise. 
this time at Herman's response to his threat. I'm thinking about it, Herman muttered, and he really was. He was thinking of some way he could extricate himself from the snare he had just been trapped in. He tried and tried.